Sport Calgary is a volunteer-based nonprofit society guided by a deep love of sport and a mission to help sport grow here in Calgary. Hiya. How you holding up? You doing good? You okay? You everybody good? Thanks for uh, checking back. I am your podcasting friend, uh, Rob Kerr, also a uh, director for Sport Calgary. So this 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 here's a labor of love for me. Um, glad we can do it. Have enjoyed every single one of them. Really enjoyed this one a lot. Um, which you've heard me say before, but it's true. Um, it, it, podcasts are like children. Um, you know, you, you you love each one of them individually. Now I'm up over thirty kids, so to speak, but I love each one of them individually. And this one's special for me because, in full disclosure, it is a friend of mine, uh, a guy that I've worked with. On uh, well, we were uh, part of the organizing committee for Cowboys and Sleds which was kind of a unique opportunity for us to uh, raise some money and awareness uh, after the Humboldt tra- tragedy and, um, you know, get uh, Ryan Stratznitsky into a, a sled and play in a celebrity game. That was kind of cool. And Ryan's name is going to come up quite a bit in this podcast. We worked in minor hockey camps before. Uh, he is a kid sport ambassador. Uh, but as you're going to find, um, Chris Cedarstrand is more than that. Chris Cedarstrand is a very, very special dude. Um, he is a amputee. He is a, uh, a former Paralympian. Um, having said that, you're not a former Paralympian. You're never a former Olympian. He's a Paralympian. Um, he is an advocate. Uh, he is a mentor. He's a leader. He's a coach. He does so much in the community that nobody knows about. And he has just an incredible, incredible story. We're going to spend a little time with Chris and learn that story today. Just a reminder, Sport Calgary acts as a resource for sports organizations with a ton of information available at www.sportcalgary.ca. Learn about community and coaching resources, research, jobs, and, of course, the latest in Calgary sport. Buckle in, sit back, and enjoy a true Canadian hero, my friend, Chris Cedarstrand. How are you holding up through all of this? Oh, you know what? I, we're doing good. We're just, uh, you know, trying to maintain our sanity. And, and for me, I mean, that's, and especially my kids, it's getting out and, and doing what we can, you know, as far as exercising and, uh, you know, just doing everything that way, try and, and just keep mentally sort of stable, I guess, and, and be physical. And, and it's turned out not too bad so far. So, so far, um, are you working? Are you staying busy? Or are you just, you know, at home taking wrangling kids? Uh, more so, well, I'm, I'm trying to stay busy. Um, busy with the fitness company that I'm, I'm working with now. And uh, then just, yeah, with the kids being at home and, and my wife being a teacher, Shannon being a teacher, it's, you know, she's been, been in and out of the school. I think they're finally going to start working from home here permanently now. Okay. But it, uh, yeah, teaching kids is definitely not my forte. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say that. I think it is your forte. I think what you're talking about is the day-to-day arithmetic, you know, reading and that kind of teaching. Yeah, exactly. I, that that's not my wheelhouse. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, just a thought or two on on what you've done in the past, uh, which is uh, a fi- you were a firefighter, um, and what you know your peer group is going through and what it's like from that standpoint what do you what do you make of all of this what are you thinking about uh you know from from the fire industry side of things it's i think it's definitely a very stressful time uh for a lot of my buddies that that are there i mean there's just so much unknown i guess right now and you know i mean there's a lot of positives coming out you know as the more statistics and things like that come in and you know timelines are shrinking and and everything that way so it's 
definitely a bit of a stressful time, but they've, you know, AHS has done a, a great job here in, in really help, helping to mitigate, you know, some of the issues that they have that way, just mm-hmm. as far as the way they're responding to calls and, you know, they're not trying to have a lot of cross-contamination that way and they're trying to keep everybody separate. So it's definitely, it's definitely helped out that way. And, and I mean, for the most part, a lot of them, and they've been quiet, you know, it's been, yeah. uh, it's, it's, it's been pretty quiet on a lot of those fronts. I mean, which I guess you can't, you can't complain about at this point. Weird question, I think, for some, but I hope you'll understand where it comes from because you're wired in such a way that you run to the fire, not away from the fire. Do you miss not being there right now? Do you miss, you know, in a state of emergency, not being active? Uh, I definitely do. I mean, you know, I had to take a little bit of a step away from the fire industry after I blew my shoulder out for, for the second time there. And, um, you know, it's definitely a place I, I wish I could be back in right now. It's just something, you know, it's, it's one of those jobs, you know, there's obviously a lot of, a lot of, you know, a lot of variables in play there. Mm. Um, you know, it is like your second family and, and you want to be there for your, your brothers and sisters in in that facet. And, and I mean, I, I am a person that, that just, enjoys helping people and to be able to go out there and, and do that in whatever facet I, I could do, um, you know, with being in the fire industry was always a very rewarding thing for me. I mean, it's obviously that, you know, you never get into it for that facet because right. it's a, a very mentally tough and draining job. Um, right. and, but, you know, to be able to go out there and, and help people in their time of need is, is something that I take a lot of, um, I, I just take, I just love doing it, I guess. So what would, since I've asked you anyway, what what was the mindset, Chris, for you? Because you came out of the dub and you went immediately to firefighting school and, and you know, that's the path you had chosen. Um, you suffered your accident and somehow you, you became, what, the first North American firefighter with an above-knee amputation. Um, yeah. Why? What was it about that? particular emergency service what was it about that particular job that drew you in you know it was something um you know even just being a little kid it's something i i I attest to or speak to a lot in my in my public speaking endeavors um you know even asking my parents i i really had two dreams as a little kid it was you know either to play hockey for a living or be a firefighter and you know once once my hockey career wrapped up um honestly, the, the number of athletes that transfer into the fire service and into the emergency services, because you have, there's just so much camaraderie. And, and I mean, it really is, you know, just, you have to be able to work together as a team, um, in, in any of those services. And it's just such a natural progression when you come from a team sport like hockey, where you're, you know, you know, that you need to be relying on people and people are relying on you. And, um, you know, you, you have to be wired a little bit differently, I think, for that, too, because like you said, you're you're always running towards something opposed to yeah. <laughs> running away from it. Um, but I think that's, you know, when you when you get into that high performance side of athletics, that's sort of what you see. Right. You get people running toward the challenges opposed to running away from them. Now, let's be really careful how I have this next conversation with you. My experience in fire control is wildland and I loved helicopters so that was i don't make no bones about it that was kind of cool i enjoyed the adrenaline of responding of finding out getting in going and reacting as time wore on i became a, a little bit of a fan of the science and the strategy behind it on bigger fires 
you fight structural fires. You are a first responder as well. That's the part that I've always kind of wondered about. Were you just as interested in being a first responder to emergencies and, and health incidents and accidents, or were you more into actually physically fighting fire? Um, you know, starting off, I mean, you're obviously going through school and things like that. You, I think you, you know, what, what you see as a child and, and what I, I thought as a child is definitely the fire side of it, right? I mean, responding to fires and everything like that. But um, much like you, I mean, I, I really enjoyed the science of a lot of it, yeah. you know, on, on, on everything. Right. And then once you really get going into the medical side of things, um, once again, it's something that just really intrigued me. And I mean, so being, being able to go out and respond to, you know, that, that whole variety of different calls was something that, uh, you know, I just, it was very intriguing to me and something that I enjoy doing. You were an elite athlete, you were a Western hockey league player, and then you became a firefighter. I've had a conversation with Randy Chevre, who was a professional football player, and he became a firefighter. How do you compare the requirements, the physical requirements? And you've already talked about, you know, an injury, you know, an injury shelved your firefighting career for all intents and purposes, which is not uncommon in, in sports. But what was the physical demands like compared to being an elite athlete to being a firefighter? Um, I mean, for me, I, I took it in exactly the same facet as, as I, you know, I approached it the same way, I guess. I yeah. mean, you've, you've got to go through crazy physicals. You've got to do everything like that. And and so being an, an elite athlete, I mean, I, I just looked at it in the exact same way. You know, I'm going to go out and I'm going to absolutely crush this. And I mean, it's it's one of those one of those jobs. I mean, when you're when you're completely geared up and, and you know, your turnout gear and you're on oxygen, um you know, you, you know that obviously the better shape you're going to be in, the better you're going to be able to perform. And, and so really that just, you know, gave me more incentive to be in better shape because you're going to be a better firefighter in that sense. Oh, that, okay. So that's interesting to me because as an athlete, you can always point to competition. You can always point to moving up or, you know, being, you know, whatever, uh, you know, there's a reason for it. Whereas I don't think, you know, you would go to work going, geez, there might be a multiple house fire this week. I better work on my abs. Um, <laughs> but you seem to find that kind of the, the uh, what drove you was the same. Like you didn't have a problem getting inspired. It was not an issue to continue working. No, no, absolutely not. I mean, it was one of those things. I mean, you know, you're doing it for a purpose. Yeah. Um, and, and like I said, it, when it's something that you enjoy and when it's something, when you know that, um, you know, like I said, your, your fellow firefighters, their lives are on the line. Um, you know, if you're responding to a call, you know, a structure fire or whatever it may be where people's lives are on the line, you know, it's, it's knowing that you're in, in the best condition possible to be able to help out, you know, whether it's your, whether it's your firefighters or whether it's the people that you're responding to. Um, you know, it's all, it's all, it's a very key component within, within firehouse, you know, there's yeah. everyone, everyone looks at it from that facet that if, if you're in that shape, you're obviously going to be able to help out, you know, everybody in a, in a better capacity. What do you miss the most about it? Uh, definitely the, just being in the hall, uh, you know, being with, being with your fellow firefighters, cause it really is another family. Yeah. Um, you know, these are all people that, you know, you're living with for, you know, 10, 12 hours a day every day, you know, when you're on tour and, and there are people that you really have to be able to, you know, trust your life to. I mean, because if something does go wrong, these are the people that are going to be saving you. 
and and so having that camaraderie and like I said, I mean, it really is you're you're like brother, you're, you're like brothers and sisters. You know, everyone's looking out for one another there, and um, you know, there's always always that competition factor that comes into you know a lot of people that get into firefighting. That's just their mentality, and and it 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 helps drive that industry to always be better. And I mean, for me being a competitive person, and you know, and especially after after my accident having to get back into it and really prove myself uh it was something that i just soaked up what do you miss about competitive sledge or competitive upright hockey um you know obviously it's it's much of the same thing i miss it is isn't it teams you know i miss hanging out with my with the boys and and everything like that uh you know one of the things i don't miss is just the daily grind with it um you know, there's there's a lot of lot required of, of amateur athletes in that facet. Um, you know, and and me being old in the amateur sport world, <laughs> let's let's be honest. I mean, I could be the dad of most of the guys on the national sledge team right now. Um, you know, it it became a lot harder as as our family grew, and you know, so there there were facets that I missed a bit and um, facets that I I don't miss. And now that I've sort of found my way into the coaching realm. You know, I've been able to replace some of those, some of those missing pieces. And, you know, I, I absolutely love coaching and I'd almost say it, you know, at this, at this point in my life, I, I love it more than playing, just really? getting to pass, just getting to pass on my information and, and seeing all these, you know, getting to, to build kids up. Um, and I mean, especially we've got a lot of, a lot of young kids around here, yeah. you know, that I've, I've been able to help mentor and, and get them to a lot higher levels and, you just take a lot of pride in knowing that you're really helping, you know, expand a kid's life and, and maybe turn something that was really negative or, you know, he, he was going down a bad path in life or whatever it is. And, you know, all of a sudden he's there representing his country and it's something that, you know, he never would have thought possible. And so to be able to go out there and, and use my hockey knowledge and my sled knowledge to, to help kids out that way is just been very, you know, it, it's something that I, I just absolutely love to do. Would you have been a coach if not for your accident? Um, I, I think I would have. Okay. Like I was I was already coaching some minor hockey and and some things like that. I obviously didn't like the politics that happened in minor <laughs> hockey. It's uh, you know, that's probably a whole another discussion. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was something that you know there was that was always one piece of my game that you know I always excelled at. I was I was able to break things down and and really teach things from that. From that point it wasn't just going okay no i skate like this i want you to skate like me or i stick handle like this and this is how you're going to do it right i i was able to look at things and actually you know break them apart piece by piece and then when you, you're able to teach kids that or especially in sledge hockey because it is such a foreign sport for most people um you know to be able to teach them individual things that way and, and just see how quick they're able to pick it up i mean it's it's really rewarding is there a difference chris this is sounding too much like an interview and not enough like a conversation, <laughs> but you brought it up. Is there a difference in your eyes between coaching and mentorship? I I don't think there is. Um, you know, well, I can't say that. I mean, if, if you're, you know, I've, I've been fortunate enough to coach at the provincial level for the last two years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm, I'm coaching a lot of the kids that I'm mentoring in that fact. And yeah. I mean, when you're, when you're a coach of the team, I think you need to have a little bit more, I'm not going to say professionalism, but distance. 
per se, right? You can be there and, and it's not that I'm not hard on the guys when I'm, when I'm out there working with them on the ice when we're not at camps and whatnot, but it's, it's definitely a different, different persona because you're, you're trying to be as professional as possible, you know, when you're representing your province or whatnot. And I mean, you're trying to impart that down onto, onto these kids as they move forward. Um, you know, cause it's, it isn't, you're not out there just for your average Wednesday skate, right. Yeah, you know, yeah. or, or whatever it is. And you need to, that's, that's the place where a lot of these kids learn that side of it, I guess. Um, but I, there, there's a, a, an immense amount of similarities between being a coach and being a mentor. Um, you know, I, I find from them actually from the mentorship side, I'm able to share a lot more life experience, I guess. Yeah. No, no, and, and and actually, the reason for this question is is simple. Is I mean, previous guest on this very podcast, George Canyon, talked about you and and mentioned how you know, and and I'm not sure that this is a point of pride for you. Maybe it is, but you got him into goaltending. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, you know, it's been very well documented um, the outreach and the work that you've done with Ryan Stradzinski post his accident and, and the Humboldt tragedy. Um, those I think from the outside always look like mentorship, but you know, as I hear you talking about coaching, it got me wondering, like, do you approach the, are you coaching Ryan? Are you, were you coaching George or is it different? You know what I mean? Um, I, I think, well, I mean with me and Ryan, it's definitely, it's, it's a bit of column A and a bit of column B. It is, um, eh? but was it always? You know, I, I think it's always been that way because, I mean, obviously, like, I, I got to know Ryan when he was in the hospital and long before we even hit the ice together. Yeah. And and so that, that mentorship role of, of me, you know, just sharing my life experience and, and what it was like to be be a very elite athlete and essentially have, you know, the the carpet really pulled out from underneath you and and share some of the struggles that, that I had to go through and that I had to overcome and and I think that helped him on a personal level, you know, getting, being able to get over those hurdles way quicker than, than me. I mean, when you have somebody that, you know, it's obviously a, a completely different injury, but in a lot of cases, the mindset's exactly the same and right. how you're approaching these things. And, and he's been able to overcome these, you know, a lot of these hurdles in a, in a remarkable amount of time. And, you know, and, and for me, I'm just hoping that, you know, it's some of my life experience that I've been able to impart on him on, on how I had to learn to navigate life after that, that, um, you know, that helped him get through some of these things that he's dealt with. What about George? George was, uh, I mean, that was just a crazy situation altogether. He called me up one day and said that he, uh, you know, he started started doing the anthem for the Flames, and he's like, uh, "You bought goalie gear." <laughs> he's like, "I'm coming out, so you got a goalie to shoot at." And I mean, it. I mean, there's. Let's be honest, it was horrible the first time he came out on the ice. Like, just, you know, and and I mean, it, on top of it, it, it wasn't. You know, it was comical because you see the guy walk out onto the ice, and I mean, he's wearing Flames gear. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, yeah. It was one of these things. It's like, oh, this guy looks like he's going to be a rock star. And then it was just a complete, I mean, he had, he had, I mean, he played hockey, he had some, some concept of it, but I, I mean, you're a goalie and, and you know what it's like, you get in goal. And I think he became very puck focused and completely lost where the net was behind him. And I mean, you would just, you know, it took him a little while and a little bit of teaching to get that side of things dialed in. So he was really understanding angles and, and sure. how to, 
you know, how to approach a player with the puck. And I mean, you've, again, you've played on the ice with me and I mean, playing against a sledge hockey player is just a completely different it is. ball it's, game. It's a weird way to learn the position. I, I, I would say that, right? Like it's yeah. a weird way to approach it at his age. Not that he's old, but you know, to come, come to <laughs> yeah. the position later in life. And I got a, I got a ton of respect for George for doing it, but uh, I just, I, it, it, to me, it's always, and, and the George Canyon story is just the Chris Cedarstrand story. It's how many circles you are in and have touched and connected. So do you ever say no? Like, have you ever turned down anything? I I don't think I have. Um, you know, as, as much as I think my wife would probably like me to start saying no the odd time, yeah. I, I find it very rewarding to be able to go out and, and help people and, and do, do whatever I can, you know, with, with what I have in that facet. Um, you know, I, I know you do a lot of work with the, the superheroes. Yeah. And, uh, I was just in touch with Kevin and we're going to get a, get our Alberta sledge players that are in chairs, get them involved in your guys's Wednesday, uh, our, our, our skills. Yeah. Yeah. So that, um, you know, I, I know you have the odd kid that, that is in a wheelchair and this yep. way everyone can be included. Right. Yeah. And I mean, it's just one of those things when, when you know the outcome is going to be so incredibly positive and, and so incredibly rewarding for, for these kids, you know, for a lot of kids, it's something that, uh, you know, it's, it's really hard to say no to is what I find you, when you, when you know, you're going to make a, a big impact in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, it's, it's difficult to say no. And it's not something, you know, I ever do for, you know, the accolades or, or having my name out there. It's just something that I, I just find rewarding in myself. And when, like I said, when you get to see these kids, you know, just essentially get a live a dream, it's, yeah. it's just so rewarding in itself to, to know that you had a, maybe a, just a small piece in helping to facilitate that. Yeah. Well, I, I think you've had a bit bigger piece than a uh, bigger, bigger piece than a small piece in that. No, it, it just, it, it always seems to me that you're a guy that I run into or, you know, you and I do the same thing. Like, you know, I'll call, I'm constantly calling you to bug you and borrow things and get you to help me. But it also is always surprise, not surprising, but the number of people that call me and go, Hey, I need Chris's number. Like Kevin did like, yep. Nope. Chris Cedarstrand. That's the answer. Let's go get, let's go get Chris. Um, <laughs> from that standpoint, like, does it ever wear on you? Do you, I mean, I guess it's the same question as you ever say no, but you know, you seem to be the conduit and the angle for a lot of people. No, like I said, it, it's something that I, I truly enjoy doing. And, you know, at this point in my life, I'm, I'm still able to balance it all. And, you know, if, if it ever gets to the point where it's, it's I just can't balance everything anymore, yeah. then obviously <laughs> I, you know, you need to be able to take a step back. But at this point, you know, I'm, I'm able to balance everything. And, and so, you know, it's just keep moving forward with, with all of that and, and being able to, to help impact as many lives as possible. What's the coolest thing you've gotten to do as a byproduct of all of your work? Uh, I mean, being an ambassador for kids sport has been, uh, been a very cool thing. I'd, I'd probably actually say one of the coolest things that I've done was last year was our fishing trip. Um, really? that was, uh, that was just an absolutely amazing experience you know, to, to have these kids out there and just doing something that I don't think a lot of them thought would they'd ever be doing. Yeah. So and, just to give uh, a little background on that, what Chris is talking about is he was kind enough. He was one of our celebrities that came out with our superheroes kids and we went fishing at, I believe it was McGregor Lake. Yep. And 
the cool part about that day, the, the part that I'll never forget, well, was you and Cassie and and Mike and Brian and all the the. But but the fact that that was one of those fishing days that every kid should get right. Like the fish were on, they were biting, boats were catching forty and releasing forty. Like it was something else, dude. That was a pretty special day. It it truly was a remarkable thing. I mean, and and just to see the the sheer enjoyment in those kids like it, it was something that you know that that it'll be a, a long-lasting memory for them and i mean like i said just to, to be able to be a part of that it was definitely one of the the coolest experiences that that i've been able to go out and and take part in just because because you know you've made a, a you know a lifelong memory for these for these kids yeah and do you want to tell the story about what you did the year before <laughs> well anybody that knows me i i like to play you know, I, I'm a joker, like to have fun with things. And, uh, so the year before we were just out with, uh, with the hockey heroes kids yeah. and yeah, I, we decided I brought, uh, brought a leg out to use as an anchor and <laughs> was on a, was on a boat with, I think we had three or four girls on the boat and I mean, they were, uh, fishing, I'd, I'd say was probably not on the, the first thing on their minds that, that day, but when uh when i pulled the leg out and got him to throw it in i it just did it, it turned the day around i think for, <laughs> for it, it these was, kids i thought it was awesome it was really it was quite a sight um and it, you were kind enough to kind of let, let me in on it early on and i thought it was really cool and a, a, a quick shout out to alberta marine and rappel and 960 for for putting that on every year and and kudos to you and and cassie and all the the celebs that come out it is it is a lot of fun not sure it's going to happen this year, but you know, hopefully it'll come back soon as that's a lot of fun. Um, but beyond that, I mean, uh, and I appreciate it. You, you hang out with George Canyon. You're, you're, you run in some pretty interesting circles. You've had to have meeting or been around some pretty neat things. Oh, definitely. I mean, you know, having, having George, you know, at one of his concerts, sing the hockey song for Carter was, uh, Oh really? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, de- dedicated it out to Carter, and uh, you know, having him do that because Carter Carter heard George's version of it, and uh, it was actually probably one of the cutest things I've I've encountered, just because uh, he heard George's version of it when he did it for the Humboldt Broncos. Okay, and he still sings it that way. Oh, really? And you know, so it's not Bobby scores; it's Logan scores, and. You know, so it obviously it had a huge impact on on him that way, and 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 just I mean, getting to see and hang out with a lot of these people, and you just you get to do you do you get to do a lot of amazing things, um, you know, and and see a lot of amazing things. Obviously, just you know, all these people have such incredible stories in their own, and you know, just to be able to get around and um, you know, just sort of chat with them, and you know, I did one this summer where I got to meet the Hanson brothers. You know, and that oh, was did one of you? The, uh, that that was definitely. I mean, growing up, especially in the '90s, playing junior hockey, and I, I'm pretty sure it's exactly the same way it is today. I, I, the number of times I've seen slap shot is probably embarrassing. I mean, there wasn't a road trip that you didn't get on, and uh, you know, to get a get a go and meet some of those people, or, or you know, and meet the Hanson brothers, were was a, a really big highlight. And getting to re- meet a lot of your idols yeah. is the other thing. Um, you know, growing up and obviously idolizing guys like Wayne Gretzky and, you know, all of these people, it's, it's, you know, Lanny McDonald, you know, I, I still, I got to get my Lanny McDonald rookie card signed still. I got it sitting here, uh, <laughs> sitting here with his bottle of whiskey and, um, 
And yeah, you know, I mean, getting to getting to meet a lot of these people are it's it really is a dream come true, you know, to be able to do that because every kid, every kid dreams of 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 meeting these people. And so I, I'm, I'm getting to do that, but I'm getting to do it at a much older age. Where did you meet the Hansons? Uh, it was for a Rotary Club event okay. in, in Calgary here. So we, it was just a whole bunch of Hockey Canada alum and a whole bunch of the Flames alumni. And, you know, it was quite the, quite the funny event because they had, uh, you know, they had Marty McSorley there and, and Jamie McCowan. And, uh, you know, they're all up on, up on stage doing, uh, you know, sort of an open mic, you know, just a bit. And, I mean, to hear them talk was just was just something else. I mean, I what I, a lot of people don't realize is, um, you know, the – the Hanson brothers, and that's not there. They're the Carlson brothers, and I think one Hanson. There's one Hanson and two Carlsons, or something Carlson. like that. Yeah. yeah, they were legitimately good hockey yep. players. Yeah, you know, and and I, I think a lot of people don't realize that. You know, they they actually played with Marty McSorley. You know, and these guys back in the day, and and so when they get up there and start telling some stories, it it actually doesn't doesn't fall far from what the movie Slop Show was. <laughs> no, it it really doesn't, and and I mean I I was lucky enough to work with them on a couple of occasions and um they are something else their paul newman stories are the best um, yeah you know it it's crazy because sometimes you don't know if they're playing a character or if it's real life and they they really float between those two quite a bit at least they did when i got to know them but um th- probably the coolest thing is they were what they were on the screen is what they were when you were around them sort of thing right Exactly. And, and they have the biggest hearts too. Um, you know, when when we did this, they were, you know, I've, I've never seen people like that more attentive to all their fans. And, uh, you know, I, I got to have a good chat with, with them and, you know, even just their generosity and wanting to help me out with my foundation and, and basically just giving me an, an open door to, to anything I need from them. Um, you know, and, and they're just genuinely good people, which is, which is something amazing. I mean, you, there's a lot of people in this world that have personas like they portray to be good and, you know, then you find out otherwise. But, uh, my one Hanson story is we, um, in 1999, I believe it was the Estevan Bruins and the Brandon Wee Kings, two different leagues, but we split them. So we had them in Estevan and they got them in Brandon. And actually, they got him at Brandon, and we got him in Estevan. So I drove to Brandon, and I don't think they skate much anymore, but at this time they were still skating, and Brandon did a little alumni game beforehand with the Hanson brothers. So we're all in this dressing room, and the alumni and everybody's dressing, and uh, you know we're, they're all talking. And, and the Hanson brothers are just getting dressed and talking away, you know, telling stories and everything like that. Each one of them had a little roll of tinfoil. Each one of them started putting the tinfoil on, like just – it was like the craziest thing and it's they've done it a million times right they didn't even think about it but there they are putting the tinfoil on i thought it was fantastic oh you know what and that was exactly the same at this rotary oh event. was it yeah you know, yeah we're all sitting there and all of a sudden they break out the little roll of tape and tinfoil and yep. they're foiling up before eating supper and you're sort of going okay no no you know, it's but it's and they, they just do it mid-conversation. You know, it's not even That's like right. they're... That's uh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. not even like it's like, oh, let's, you know, this is a production. It's just they're talking and they're just doing it. And you're, you're just going, wow, like this is just, it's now, this is a part of your life. It's second nature. And I mean, it was it was a cool thing to see for sure. No doubt about it. Uh, Chris Cedarstrand is our guest here on the original Six Feet Conversation podcast. In light of COVID-19, Sport Calgary has compiled together a directory of webinars and digital events to help you stay connected in the Calgary sport community. Learn more at sportcalgary.ca. Um, I plug something. You want to plug your website or your social media? Um, 
Yeah, I just you know I have my my foundation, the Cedar Strand Foundation, which is which is out there to uh, help kids with disabilities acquire sporting equipment. And uh, you know it's a big thing for me. Sports was such a huge component in getting me through my accident and and getting me back to a lot of you know that normalcy in my life. And and I I've seen it be such a huge part in you know in the work that I've done. And the one thing that people don't realize is the cost of you know, the cost of this equipment, you know, yeah. it's, you're not, you're not looking at a pair of, pair of you know, running shoes and a basketball to get a kid playing, you know, out on a court, you're looking at a five, $6,000 wheelchair and a basketball. And it's something that, uh, you know, really goes under the radar and, and is a lot financially to have to put on, to put on parents and, and everything like that. So, you know, we're out there to help sort of bridge that gap and, and get as many kids back in the sport as possible. Cool. Um, what 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 did you play growing up? What sports did you play growing up? Oh, I I was a multi sport athlete. I mean, I I grew up in a small town just outside Saskatoon, and so you know when a hockey season was on, I I play I still played indoor soccer during hockey season. Um, but I mean when when April hit, the ice was gone. You know we didn't have a choice, and and so it was baseball and you know soccer and road hockey. I mean you couldn't. It was basically anything available at that point um you know the kids nowadays definitely have a lot more selection in what they can choose from and i mean obviously i grew up in a smaller town so you you were really stuck with the you know the main few sports i guess but you know it was one of those things that you just you played absolutely everything mm-hmm. and i mean just it it definitely contributed contri- contributed to me being a, a really good all-around athlete and i mean you're starting to see a lot more of that happen now which is an incredible thing some point you had to be really good at hockey though because you get on the radar in the western hockey league you go on playing red deer so what was the the chris cedarstrand western league career all about uh you know what my western league career was you know i i unfortunately didn't get to play a lot of games um okay you know i i played over the course of three seasons and ran into a lot of concussion issues Mm mm-hmm and, um, you know, I was even, even through all that, I was still ranked to go in the NHL draft at one point. And, um, but ultimately, you know, just took a lot of very unfortunate, uh, hits to the head. Okay. And, I mean, I was, I was a guy that, you know, I, my, my first year going through Red Deer down at camp there was, you know, I went through the gauntlet. I ended up fighting Stephen Pete and Aaron Asham, you know, who were two relatively, very you know, Pete so. was a tough, yeah. tough guy. And, uh, you know, and unfortunately, I was a, a skill player. Well, fortunately, I was a skill player before that. That's what I got got drafted for. But um, you know, the year that I made Red Deer, we had a ridiculously good team. Um, you know, we had guys like Aaron Asham and Jesse Wallen and Lance Ward and um, uh, Sean McNeil. I mean, there, the list was endless. I think uh, the CHL on you know on paper before the season started had us at, at number one. And, you know, when you're, you know, when you're in that situation, we had an incredible coach there in Rick Carrier mm-hmm. and he took, he took us rookies under his wing um, because obviously we weren't getting a lot. I mean, the, the three rookies we had on the team, we were at the fourth line. Yep. You know, that's where we were, that's where we were situated. It was going to be pretty hard to take ice time away from, you know, a guy like Aaron Asham or, you know, any of these guys that were above us. There were just so many guys that were drafted and, um, you know, unfortunately, we just, it was one of those situations where, you know, I think you see at the odd time with our, our world junior team is you just end up with way too many, way too many players that are, you know, wanting all to be leaders and nobody's really wanting to buy into a system. 
Right. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, Rick was doing an amazing job with us uh, throughout that, that whole, you know, first almost two thirds of the season. And then on, you know, they ended up letting them go because I mean, our team was just, it, you know, nobody was buying into anything. Everyone was out there for themselves. And I mean, once, once that happened, things really sort of took a turn, I guess, you know, we ended up uh, having our assistant coach take the helm and, and um, he was a, an old hard nosed junior player. And, and the way you got rewarded for playing or for, for getting more ice time was fighting. And so you, you had a lot of guys start stepping into that. And, um, you know, the next year we had Wayne Simpson come up yep. and, and that was just a, oh, sorry, not Wayne Simpson, Terry Simpson, Terry Simpson. The yeah. Sim, the, yeah. The Simpsons owned the team. Uh, they had Terry Simpson come up and again, that was just an absolute debacle. Um, you know, he came down and we, you know, we had a, few, a fair number of guys graduate to the pros and, uh, he wanted to have an NHL team, you know, playing junior essentially. And, and you've got all these young guys and, and again, it just wasn't a, a fantastic, uh, situation. And, and I played very few games that year, took a slap shot to the face and Oof. a whole bunch of, uh, a couple bad hits from behind and, um, you know, ended up sitting out the, basically most of that season with concussions and then ended up, uh, getting traded to Swift Current and, you know, things were looking fantastic and swift current and you know it, it really felt like i'd come back from every you know all these concussions and and things were going well and in our home opener took a fun the puck took a funny bounce off the boards and went and shipped it out and somebody just floored me from behind and uh you know i, I got to see video of it and it's probably one of the scariest things i've seen happen to myself and you know me i've had a lot of crazy things happen to myself you have um, yeah yeah you know it, it looked like i broke my neck you know, I, I was out, I don't remember, probably about two weeks of my life after that. And, uh, you know, I actually started going going blind. I had so much pressure built up in my head that uh, it was it was really scary. And ultimately, at that point, my neurologist said, like, this is this is it. You know, we got to we got to shut this down. And it was a really hard thing to, to have to go through. You know, I had I had really pushed myself to be obviously the best hockey player I could be. And I knew I had the potential to be there and just uh, an unfortunate, uh, you know, few hits and, and weird things happened. And all of a sudden, you know, that, that dream sort of gets pulled out from underneath you. Yeah. But you know, it was, you, you learn a lot through sport and, you know, it was obviously, it was tough. And I mean, I, I got over it and I mean, I, you know, like I said earlier, I had two dreams as a kid and yeah. you know when i realized hockey wasn't there i you know went went in that next direction and and basically just put all my energy into that and i mean it you know i, I was getting again to, to live the dream i had as a kid as a firefighter so yeah, but, but but not but i i don't want to say but you regret your junior career i think i would have made some changes in it um you know it, at that point I wasn't thinking at all about education. Okay. Um, and um, obviously you, I mean, I have, edu- you know, I had education bank from my time that I played in the Western league. Yep. Um, but given the, the, the state of things and the way things were, I wish at this, and I, mean, I, I know my parents think the same way. I, I, they wish I would have went the junior A route mm-hmm. and, and went and got a scholarship and come out with, with something a little bit more out of hockey, I guess. Right. You know, um, it, I mean, obviously the, the times have changed a lot, 
you know, in the hockey world, especially the junior world since the wild sort of West of the nineties. And, uh, but you know, you, you really just sort of sold yourself. I don't want to say shoulder. So you sold your education short to, to play in the Western hockey league. Um, and, and it was tough, uh, you know, especially living in Saskatchewan or, you know, that being my hometown and then having to, having to live in Red Deer, um, you know, school doesn't line up. There's just so many pieces that, that make it really difficult to, you know, to try and have that balance, I guess. And, you know, there's so much time spent on the road and, and everything like that. It, and I mean, at, at that point, if you're playing in the Western league and especially then you're, you're looking at hockey as a career. Yeah. And I mean, unfortunately, in a lot of cases, I think school takes a, a backseat to, to hockey and, you know, and, and it, you can talk till you're blue in the face to parents and kids and whatever it is. But I mean, even at, even at the Western hockey league level, even though you're playing it, you know, you're a very small percentage of minor hockey players that get to achieve that. The number that go on to have actual NHL careers. Oh, are, it's minuscule, minuscule. It's, it's yeah. minuscule. And, yeah. and, you know, you talk to some of these, you know, I, I have a uh, Corbin light night lives right around me. Yep. And, uh, you know, Corbin, Corbin got to play for a few teams up in the NHL. He's playing over in the K now. I mean, he went that, that, um, the college route down in the States, but you know, I mean, he's even going, you know, I've, I've only got a few years of hockey left in me, right. Playing over there. And, and it's, then you have a lot of uncertainty as, as what's going to happen. And I mean, I played with a lot of guys that just grinded it out in the East coast league for a long time, just because that's all they knew. Right. And, you know, and now they're, you see a lot of these guys struggling with, with what they, what they need to do and go forward in their lives. Yeah. Was, was you, were you done with hockey when the Western league was over? Uh, for the most part, yeah. I mean, I, I rehabbed and I, you know, came back from everything. I, I played in the old wild goose league in Saskatchewan for a bit as okay. an yeah, yeah. on one of the teams. Yeah. And, you know, I, hockey was, is obviously always going to be a staple in my life. It's something that, I mean, basically controlled, you know, the first half of my life. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's, it's, it's a love that I'll always have. And I mean, so it's, I don't think hockey something I'll ever say I'll be, you know, completely wash my hands of right. just, it's, it's just in me to the core, I guess. Yeah. Um, as you've mentioned a couple times and you, you became a firefighter. Um, was that easy for you? Did you excel? I mean, it was, you know, as you said, you had two passions. Did, was that a challenge for Chris or? Oh, it definitely was. Um, you know, going into Vermilion, you have to go through a whole gambit of tests. And I mean, I, I looked at it all as something that, you know, it was, to me, it was high performance sport. Mm-hmm. You know, I, your mm-hmm. the training changed in, in the facet of what I had to do, but I mean, I went in there and just absolutely blew the physical out of the water. And at that point to get into, you know, to get into the school back then, back in the early two thousands, you know, they were only taking, you know, 60, 70 firefighters a year. Yep. It, it, you know, now they're pumping out mass numbers of them, but, um, you know, it was a, it was a big challenge to get to get into that, you know, into those schools, especially coming in with zero background where you had a lot of, uh, a lot of people that were going through this that were already volunteers on fire departments. And, you know, they, they had had some experience behind them. Um, but you know, that fire industry really looks at high performance sport and they know that, you know, obviously you're very teachable, you know, if (laughs) if you're playing it at a level like that, they know that, you know, you're going to be a very teachable individual and, and you have a lot of those, qualities that they're looking for i mean you know you're gonna be a great teammate 
essentially. Yep. Right. And, yep. and you're, you're going to be the guy that's going to be willing to push himself when, you know, when put really, when push comes to shove, right. When, yep. when you're running towards something, uh, they know that you're not going to crumble under pressure because of something like, you know, yep. that you're going to get worried or scared. Or, I mean, obviously those are, those are things that happen to everybody. Um, but when you're playing at those, you know, sports at high level or whatever it is, you know, anything at a high level, you're always going to be nervous. You're always going to have those fears, but it's that ability to, you know, not have them overwhelm you and you being able to control them. And, and, um, like you said, with your, you know, doing, um, doing the forest fire side of things and, and the wildland side, you know, you, there's a lot, there's a lot of science and there's a lot of things yep. to firefighting that, uh, you know, definitely go under the radar. It's, it's not just spraying the wet stuff on the hot stuff. No, and, you know? <laughs> and you're absolutely right. And, and it was, it was a wake up. And again, mine was the least of the complicated fires, but it, 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 there is a science to it. And, uh, especially, and, and I wanted nothing to do with structure because of the, you know, the different things that can go wrong and the different, you know, things that you have to be prepared for. At least when a tree is burning, the tree is burning. The wind could come up. Sure. Lightning might be there, okay, but, you know, it was a fairly, but I always had an appreciation of, you know, still do, obviously, for the danger that a, that a, a structure fire poses. And so many, and, and that's just the burning part. Then there's the chemical components, and then there's, you know, the the, all, the smoke that was, you know, an issue. It, it seems to me like you got to be prepared. you got to have your head on the shoulder. You, you can't, again, you can't be a fighter and be a firefighter, right? You have to, no. You have to think the game. Right. Exactly. Right. I mean, and that's and that's why, you know, training is such a rigorous thing. You know, there. Yeah. If, if you're sitting at the hall, you know, it's, it's not that, you know, people think it's like, you know, two sleepovers and a couple barbecues. It's like <laughs> the last, you know, yeah. it's really the last thing that's happening. I mean, right. you are you are there honing your skills. Right. And, and it's just that it's the same as sport. It's a rinse and repeat thing. Yeah. Um, because when when you are in that situation. You know, you can't, you can't lose your head, right? You, you got to be able to think through something and, and act appropriately. Otherwise catastrophe happens. Right. And that's where you start having people getting injured on the job or losing, you know, losing people. Right. Yeah. Catastrophe. That's an interesting word. Um, <laughs> do you live your life in two acts or is your life one continuous story? Uh, I'd have to say it's one continuous story. Okay. You know, so even I, you, you don't pre-accident, post-accident? No, I don't. Um, you know, one of the things that um, I've been fortunate enough to do is uh, is a lot of public speaking. And arguably, probably the most insightful question um, uh, that was ever, ever brought to me was by a little, you know, a grade four kid. And it was, I guess, getting back straight to the original question, I would say for a while it was two acts. Okay. And it trained it changed to one. Um, you know, I, I had a little, little grade nine girl ask me, or sorry, or a nine year old ask me, you know, if you had a choice, would you go back and change your accident? And, and it really made me think, you know, it, uh, to know the, the impact that I get to make now and the cool things that I've been able to do. And, um, at this point I wouldn't change it. You know, it's something that it's, it's made me a better individual. And, and there's, uh, obviously days where I struggle and, you know, more so than I probably would have, um, right. normally, but it's learning to embrace those types of struggles and just accept them as challenges and, and move forward. And, um, you know, there were a lot of, uh, uncertainties, I guess. I mean, even just right post accident and, you know, how am I going to be a father? How am I going to, 
do just the normal things. And yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I, there's, there's been nothing I haven't been able to, to do and, and being that competitive side, having that competitive, competitive side of me and, and just being able to just jump on those challenges and, and do make them happen has, has just allowed me a lot of fulfillment in life. So is it insulting for someone like myself to talk to you and go, geez, Chris, if you could go back in time, wouldn't you want to be normal again? No, I, I don't think it is at all. I mean, it's, you know, everyone has their own story. I mean, a lot of people, you know, you haven't walked in my shoes. I haven't walked in your shoes. Right. 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 I mean, uh, you could, I could pose that question back to you probably in a different facet. And, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, everybody has a different way of dealing with things and everybody, you know, goes about their way in dealing with things. And, and for me, you know, it was something that I didn't, you know, obviously I looked at it as a negative to start with. Sure. Um, sure. And I mean, I don't think there's a person in this world that wouldn't look at it as a negative to start with, but as, as my life progressed, I mean, I started finding those silver linings in, in what had happened. Right. And, you know, like I said, it's, um, it's because of my accident, you know, I, like I said, I, I grew up dreaming of playing hockey and, and being a firefighter. And ironically, a traumatic accident allowed me to do both of them at the same time. And I guess what I was what I was trying to say though is is what the, the original answer to the nine year old that asked you. It seems to me that it is insulting to go back to you and go, you know, wouldn't you want to be normal again? This is your normal, and and, yeah, this... and you're living again. You're exceeding and meeting dreams and all of those sort of things, which I think. And you said it though, not off the bat, right? Took a while. Oh no. And, and I mean, I, th- I think that's the same with anybody, yeah, right? Yeah, like yeah. it's, it's no different if you lose a job or, you know, maybe lose a loved one or, or right. however that works. Right? right. I mean, you, you have that time where obviously you're looking at things, you know, in a very negative light. And, and I mean, for me, I'm not going to lie. It, it took a while, you know, I, for me, it was a very tough Did it thing. have to take um, a while though, Chris, you know what I mean? Did, do you need to go through the process of of appreciation, not appreciation, but understanding and grieving and acceptance? Or can you jump, you know, could you go see somebody today and say, listen, I've been through this. I want to, you know, I want to speed you through the next six months. No, I, I think it's a very important piece to go through that process. Okay. Um, because it's, if, if you don't do it, it it's going to come up and bite you at some point, okay. right? It's, especially on the mental health side of things, you know, and, and I mean, again, you know, the work that I do with Ryan, um, you know, it's something that I've been, I've, I, where I've been able to teach him some of my life lessons because, you know, having a significant injury like mine or like Ryan's, ironically, you know, that, that Canadian hockey, you know, hockey player mentality yep. becomes horribly detrimental. You know, okay. I mean, it's as you're going through rehab and things like that, you know, for the first little bit, obviously you're just, you know, you're going up in leaps and bounds, mm-hmm. right? You're, you're jumping forward, you know, feet at a time. And then all of a sudden that slows down. And this is, you know, I dealt with this personally and then that really slows down. Right. And then that mindset that you have of being, you know, that always moving forward, you know, you just start driving yourself into the ground, right? Because you're not making that forward progress that you were, that you want to be making. And, and that's where you really need to start looking at things and, and looking at your thought processes and the way that you're coping with things and the way that you're dealing with things, because it, like I said, it was something that put me in a very dark place. Right. Having to sit there and, you know, just not making 
that forward progress. And especially being that high level athlete, I mean, you're used to things coming to you sure. easily. Sure. Right. And, and all of a sudden you're sitting there. I mean, I had tremendous problems with my, I still do with pain and, you know, not being able to wear my leg and, and all of these things. And I mean, all, you're just looking at it from a negative side right. all the time. Right? right. And, and I mean, I was fortunate enough that, um, I got hooked up with an incredible psychologist who's, who's unfortunately not with us anymore, but you know, he was a, an old sports guy and he really changed my mentality on how to look at things and then how to not just turn something into a negative because I couldn't do it. Um, you know, and, and look at something always, always as a challenge. Right. And, yeah. and it's one of those things that I became afraid of failing. Right. And, and when you, when that happens, you know, you're, you're just digging yourself into a hole, you know, you yep, be, yep. it's, it's a really weird thing. You become a failure at failing and then you just quit putting yourself out there. And, and that's one of the things that, you know, I, I've really tried imparting on a lot of people, right? I mean, you need to go through those processes, uh, to really regain that mental health and mental stability and know that this is your life going forward, but you can't let it impact you to the point where, you're not even going to, you know, you're, you just won't even put yourself out there anymore because you're afraid that something bad might happen and it might make you feel worse. And I mean, that's, that's a really weird thing to have happen for somebody that came from a sporting background because sports, when you break it down is a whole lot of failure. (laughs) It it really is. It really, really is. Right. And yet, yeah. And yet you learn to embrace it then. Right. But then all of a sudden something traumatic happens and some, you know, a switch, you know, a switch flips and and all of a sudden you look at it from, you know, the other side of things where, you know, and, and it's because you're looking at it, I think, more as a, a very large picture opposed to a very small increments. Right. I'm not looking at it going, OK, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to learn this move. Yeah. Or, you know, I'm going to do that. And, and I mean, I'm going to do it 100 times and I'm going to probably fail for the first however many times. You know, and you just know that it's going to, you know, you're going to keep progressing. But when you start looking at that picture as your whole life, all of a sudden, and, and you're in that depressed state, it becomes a, a, a deep hole really quick. And and when you see guys like Ryan out there now, and, and I mean, he's really embraced that, yeah. you know, for yeah. him to be able to, you know, what he's doing and getting out there and, and talking to kids and, and, and really going through all those things. I mean, he's, he's got his ups and downs too, right? He's got his bad days. He's got his good days. I mean, there's days where we both sit in the dressing room and cry. Yeah. You know, it's, it's part of, it's part of life. And I mean, when you're dealing with things like, you know, those traumatic injuries that happens, but you know, when we look at the incredible things that have, that have come out of it. And I mean, it's, you don't ever want, I mean, obviously their accident was, you know, or incident was horribly tragic, you know, and, and I mean, you can't ever say where somebody's going to go in hockey, yeah. right? I no, mean, no. like yeah. you, you, when you look at my story or you look at Ryan's story and, you know, I mean, you know, maybe Ryan might've been an NHL player, mm-hmm. you know, he'd sure. be very well could have. I yeah. mean, let's be honest though, that chance is very small, right? But, you know, if you look at the life that he's getting to live now, you know, not in a million years would he have probably been an Adidas athlete or a warrior athlete right? or, you know, have the ability to change people's lives like he's doing. You know, he might have got a scholarship and went down and went to school and be grinding out a, a desk job somewhere. But instead, you know, he's getting to live a life that most people dream of yeah. living, you yeah. know, being an athlete and 
And it's, like I said, it's obviously, you know, not his first choice on how he would have wanted his life to turn out, but it's pretty cool, you know, to see, you know, the impact that he gets to have on people. And I think that's something that he's really starting to embrace. Your life is not a Disney movie. So my assumption is you didn't wake up one day and go, okay, now I get it. I can move on. Was there a moment in time in your life where you transitioned from, I've been in an accident, my life has changed, to I'm moving forward and this is what the new reality is? Uh, there, there absolutely was, and it's probably one of the most cliche stories that I, that I tell. Um, you know, and I remember it so vividly. I mean, you, I, I was obviously, like I said, in a really dark place. Um, it had taken me, you know, they had me on more medication and painkillers and everything like that. We ultimately, you know, things were, like I said, not looking, looking positive. And, uh, I got an email from my fire instructor and, you know, it, again, it's one of these cliche things. People are trying to inspire you and yep. do this and yep. do that all the time. Right. And, and he sends me this email and I I'm laying in bed, which was pretty much my home for the majority of the day. And, and this, this email was scars should remind you where you've been. They shouldn't dictate where you go. And I don't know why, but it just, you know, it was like somebody punched me in the face hmm. and I just went, wow, you know, this, this is exactly what I'm doing. I'm, I'm letting physical scars and mental scars dictate the direction of my life right now. Okay. And, and once I realized that I decided that, you know, it was, I made a conscious decision just to go, no, right. I'm going to start working forward and finding what made me happy before and not, not looking at the negatives of everything that's going on and, and how crappy the situation is. Um, you know, I'm going to start looking at what made me happy and I'm going to go out and start achieving those. And I mean, for me, that was sport and, and being active and, and getting myself back out there in that facet. So where does sledge come into this story? Or I guess, Para hockey? I, I apologize. Para, what, what are we calling it today? Hockey. Yeah, it's, it's para ice hockey. Para yeah, ice hockey. Thank you. Right. Sledge. But, uh, Where did sledge come sledge. in? Uh, you know what? It took me a little while to get involved in sledge. Um, you know, my first sport that I got into was golf. Obviously, as a hockey player, I golfed a lot. Um, you know, got out there, actually got good enough, played in the Canadian Amputee Open. Um, you know, sort of transitioned from that and, and got into some paracycling taught myself to skate again, to, you know, skate proficiently enough again. I was actually able to help run a hockey school, um, you know, and, and as sort of things kept moving forward, I got back into snowboarding and I'd seen, I'd seen sledge hockey or para ice hockey and, and it's, you know, adaptive sports sort of come at you in two different directions. They come at you from the, oh, that's cute factor or the holy crap factor. Yep. And uh, I saw para ice hockey at a flames game in between the intermission and I just went, nope. You know, there was, it was really, Oh, well, you pushed it, back. Did you? Oh, I mean, because it, and, and I mean, this isn't meant to be sound. In, no, in a bad this is way your at all, story. This is your story. I saw, I saw people out there getting pushed around, you know, yeah, and they've yeah, got okay. their sticks taped to their hands and there's people like, it was just, yeah, yeah. you know, it, it did not look like something, you know, I would look at doing. Right. You know, and, and this was what was happening in Calgary. This was this was paradise hockey in Calgary. And so I immediately just went, you know, no, you know, this is not something I want anything to do with. Right. I again, back back when my accident happened in 2005, YouTube and things like that were not 
that common. Right. Right. Yeah. They yeah. Were they weren't prevalent. The old, they weren't prevalent. No, they're no. you're still using the old flip phones and you know, you didn't have internet on your phone. Like it was That's just, right. that was not something that happened. And, uh, so the only way you found these sports was to go out and, and search them out yourself. Or you had somebody come along and recruit you, which is, which happened with me with a lot of sports, but you know, ultimately, you know, what changed my mind with sledge hockey is I've been going through all these sports and, you know, paracycling was actually looking really good for me. Um, and then I blew my knee out. And, and so that put a pretty abrupt halt to the, to the paracycling side. Right. And, you know, I started looking around and I had, uh, Kieran Block, you know, he was yep. a former member of the national sledge hockey team, uh, get in touch with me. And he's like, dude, you need to come out and watch the world sledge challenge at Winsport." And, you know, I was, I, you know, I had no idea, I guess. Right. And I came out and it was that holy crap moment for yeah. me. All of a sudden you just went like, you know, these guys are cooking out on the ice. It's yeah. violent. It's, you know, it, it was hockey. It, it was really it was hockey yeah. at its core. Yeah. And I just went, yeah, you know, this is it. And, and so, you know, at that time, they, uh, Paul Rosen, one of the ex-goaltenders for the, the team, was doing uh, the, the fast hockey feed. And this was in, like, 2011. And, uh, you know, he, he saw me and then started asking me questions right away and found out that I was a former Western League player. And, and things just snowballed from there. You know, this was in November of 2011. He brought me down to meet the coach and meet the team and, you know, everything that way. And, and from that point you know, with hockey being my passion, I was just laser focused mm -hmm. on it and basically, you know, got, got involved with the sledge association and, and pushed as hard as I could there until I wasn't allowed to play anymore, <laughs> which is a whole nother ball of wax that happens in a Just a sport. wee bit too but, competitive. Uh, were you? No, no. Again, it's they a lot of adaptive sports have a trouble, have trouble finding that balance. Yeah, I guess between high performance and between the kids that want to have fun, yep. and it's and it's not their fault. It's it's, it's a volume I mean, issue, isn't it? Really, it's a volume issue. Exactly. You know, when you only have thirty or forty sledge players yeah. in the city, you're you're not able to really break things up in into that you know that side of things, sure. and so you get out there and people are not happy with you right you're you're i mean and it comes from a lot of different angles because you're excelling at such a rapid pace and that's I mean, right you've got guys that have been out there for 10 12 years and all of a sudden you're beating them and, and but again if you have a thousand athletes that is not as dramatic because then no. you can stratify it but when you're dealing with such a small group that it, it compounds the problem really it, it it makes it extremely difficult so i mean i was very fortunate like i said i I got in a sled, I think it was the end of November of 2011, and by January of 2012, uh, I was at my first development camp. I love and... that. I love that. I love, I, love, I love so many things about you, Chris, but one, you've talked about the importance of failure, which I think we're losing in minor sport. We've got to get it back in there, the importance of failure. But I also love the stories about you don't need to have done something for your entire life. You do not need to commit. What you need to do is commit to being a good athlete. And I truly believe, you tell me if I'm wrong, but I truly believe you did that in such a short period of time because you were a multi-sport athlete, because you had played, because you knew. It wasn't because your parents put you in a camp for nine years and you played 12 months a year. You will find your way. Sorry, oh, that's my I, rant. No, oh, no, no. And, and you are, you know, you hit the nail on the head. You're 100% correct. I mean, you've been in a sled. Yep. I've seen more NHL players jump in sleds. And there is, outside of your hockey IQ, 
there is not a lot of transference that happens there. No, it scares the living, sh- uh, scares the living <laughs> crap out of you um, because of the height. And we're yep. so used to going along the boards and being able to be pushed up against the glass with a bit of give. Now you're up against the yellow dasher and there's no give. Right. Like the whole perfection. I will go. I'll let you finish your story. But let me just one more rant here. We often said in the old sports media business that, geez, you know, if if you tried to start professional football today, you wouldn't because it's too dangerous. If you started hockey and sledge today. And just let people pick. I don't think it's slam dunk because I think sledge is especially for those of us who like an edge in it and who like the physicality in it, and we're starting to see that go away, rightfully so, and, and for the right reasons. But in Sledge, is a, I believe, is a standalone game to itself. I really believe that. It could be able-bodied, it could be disabled, it could just be its own sport. I really believe that. No, and I agree with you on that. I, it's something, like I said, I mean, you're, you have a little bit of transference that happens, but outside of that, you know, growing up being a multi-sport athlete is what, made that so much easier for me yeah right i mean there's just things that you have to learn to do you've got to become ambidextrous yeah yep. i mean that balance is something yep. that you know it doesn't matter how good you are on a pair of skates you know we've like i said i've had more nhl players out in uh in sleds and i mean it's it's comical you know it, it really is the, well you took our, you took the hitman out this year you you took the yeah. entire hitman team out and it, it, what's crazy about that is all of a sudden you learn who's insecure because it's oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> it's okay when you're the best Western League player, but now you're in something else, and oof, you know, it's, guys got quiet real quick. Some. Oh, it's a different dynamic. You know, it's a, right? it's a whole different dynamic, and and but that's where being that multi-sport athlete definitely gave me a massive, a massive advantage yeah. to go out there and and then just the drive that you know that I had growing up. You know, when I decided to do this, I went out and I didn't let things hold me back. I mean, I. I can't even count the number of rinks I went to just asking if I could get on the ice somewhere, yep. you know, and, and having that, you know, passion to just pursue it to the absolute next level is, is what allowed me to get to that point. Yep. And I mean, it's something that, you know, in adaptive sports, you don't see that often you get, people get very complacent and, you know, you, which is part of the issue that I, that we had just talked about yeah. where you, you know, you just have, yeah, such a wide variety, yeah. but yeah. yeah, I was able to go out and, and utilize my athletic talent and, and got, you know, from, got into the system very quick. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, things just kept rolling forward for me at that point. And not a sport you hide in, you know, and, no. I'm, not, and I'm not taking any shots at, at hockey or anything like that. It's my love. It's my passion. But we all know players that were terrible practice players and then were really good on game day. You can't half-ass it through a practice. Like no. That, that oh, no. Sledge is probably the most intense practice you will see in sport, I think. It's, I, I agree. It's something that, you, yeah, you, you can't coast in sledge. You can't, you no. can't look half-ass in sledge or you know, do something because it, you get, you know, there's, there's no place to hide. Yeah. Like you said, um, you know, and, and it's, you know, when I, when I compare it to hockey, you know, my, my up days, it, uh, it's actually a much more team-based game. You have to be able to rely on your teammates that much more because, you know, there, you can't dangle in sledge. No. There's no such thing as dangling. You know, when you're playing against a team like the Americans, you're running out of real estate the minute you pick up the puck. You know, it's a game of angles, and you need to either be able to beat somebody with speed or you need to be able to pass the puck. 
And, and so you see a lot of these guys just, you know, that you have to be able to rely on your teammates, you know, for them to be in good spots and for them to understand the game so that you're not getting crushed out there. Cause like you said, I mean, if you're getting angled, angled out along the boards, we don't oh, yeah. have that nice give of the glass. No. We're getting crushed into, into the boards and it does not feel, it does not feel good. No. <laughs> how, how good is the game going to become? Now that we've got guys like you and others that are in the community, they've been at the highest level, you're teaching, you're, you're developing, you're introducing kids at a younger age, where does the sport go? I, I mean, from the time that I got into the sport to where it is now, it has been an insane, you know, trajectory. Yeah. And it's just continuing to go up from there. You know, when you look at the our national team here now and the national teams around the world, you know, that gap is closed a fair bit. I mean, it's, it's still the Americans and the Canadians are, are at that, the top of the heap, but I mean, the other teams have closed the gap immensely. And when you have people out there like that, it's, I mean, the, the game itself, you know, when, when I tell people just some of the, uh, the things that are happening out on the ice, you know, guys like Billy Bridges firing the puck 80 miles an hour with one hand and, yeah. you know, Tyler McGregor doing a lap in 17 seconds. You know, I mean, you're talking. Yeah, just about stop guys there for a second. Seventeen seconds. If you go to the NHL All Star Game and look at the times, that's what we're talking about here. Like he's what it's, three three seconds off of what the top yep. three NHL players are doing, right? It's like, it's insane. I mean, you're you're probably looking at like Western Hockey League speeds. Yeah, you know, it's, yeah. it's junior it's junior hockey speeds, and yeah, you when you see all this, and now just the you know, even when we had the Vancouver uh, Olympics here, you know, and and I go back, and I mean, I've watched more tape than I and I can count but I mean it was like Timbits hockey back then it was just that's the way the game was played and and I mean now you know the systems and tactics and everything that's being implemented into this game I mean it's just something that when you watch these teams play it is unbelievable yeah you know at, at what's actually happening on the ice and 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 how the game is being played and then like you said it's just something you know it, it really is an amazing thing to watch and it's really a, a travesty that it doesn't get more attention here in Canada because I mean the one game that they play a year at the World Sledge Challenge I have more people talk to me about that just going why are we not you know why are, why is this not out there and I mean that's a whole nother well I, I know why I know why because we we attach para to it and we attach disability and and for whatever reason we've decided oh well then it's down here it ain't yeah you know, I and Ken Babby is a great friend of mine, and I know the, he loves the program, and it's been interesting to watch it through his eyes, but he always invites me down when there's camps, and I love to go down and watch practice. I really do, because, I, I, again, the, a practice of a sledge team is probably better than most hockey games you're going to see just because of the intensity that you have to have. It just, you just have no choice in it. Not to yep. make you the king or the, the guy in charge, but will the women's game get there? Are we, are we growing that? I think I definitely think like the the women's hockey in general or the women's sledge team or which sorry well the sled on the sledge side because we don't right now we don't have an official national team correct no we don't um and I and I think the women's the women's side is coming along okay um you know they're they're starting to make more headway for it I guess I mean there's a there's a a girl that plays over in the on the Norway team mm-hmm. and I mean it's it's one of those things that they're it's really hard to do population wise volume again right. we're back to volume it's it's, right? a, it's it's a volume piece and and it you know you have just such a large discrepancy there 
You know, I mean, we've, they had like, you know, Christina Pinkton from Ontario was out at our tryouts this year, mm-hmm. you know, looked at, you know, she didn't, did not look out of place out there. Right. But you just have a lot of that, that variable, that, that gap that happens in talent is just, it's, it's still pretty large at, at the women's level. And, and hopefully, I mean, they're able to continue to grow it and expand it. Yep. And, and as, as the, and the sports growing here in Canada, which is, you know, you're, you're seeing a lot more people get involved in it and there's a lot more exposure happening, even, you know, whether it's, I mean, Kevin Rempel doing his, uh, you know, his sledge experience out in, out in Ontario. And I mean, I've been fortunate enough to do something like that here and, mm-hmm. and you're just seeing so many more people get exposed to this sport and, and the work that Ryan's doing to bring exposure to the sport that I, I just think it's a matter of time before those numbers start to get bolstered up. And, you know, kids want to get out there and do it. And, you know, it's, it's having programs around here that are allowing kids to be able to go out and, and, and try it and, and fall in love with it that are, are going to be the big things. What's next? What's, what's the future hold? What's, what's on the horizon? Where, where are your eyes fixed right now? Uh, well, my eyes are fixed off. <laughs> I should be looking cross-eyed. But um, no, I mean, I, I have my AMP program which is something yep. that we are we are working on. And I mean, again, allowing kids to get out there and get that experience with sledge hockey. Um, we had the Flames happen last year, you know, with uh, them, us having an affiliate team here now, which has become a little bit more of my focus um, because that's where the biggest gap happens here is our elite players don't have a place to play on a continuous basis. Right. Um, you know, it's basically they either play – you know, in the, in the very start of the career, they get to play with the provincial team for a few years once you're on the national team, but then you're not eligible to do that anymore. Um, and so our Flames experience last year was was just out of this world, you know, getting to go down to St. Louis and play against all the U.S. teams and, and play at that Tier 1 tier one uh, level is something that is, is a much-needed thing here in Canada. And I, I'm, we're really working on growing that across, across the nation, you know, hopefully getting teams like Toronto and and Ottawa and, and getting these tier one teams out there so that our, our most elite athletes can continue to, to grow and, and to play because it's, like I've said, it's, it's tough when, you know, our national team gets together five, six, you know, for five, six camps a year. Yeah. And that's really the only time that they're getting to play at an elite level. Um, you know, a lot of the places they are just, it's, it's not possible for them to play anymore, you know, either because of the talent gap or, or just, they're strictly not allowed to play. And when you, you know, when you look at the U.S. team, I mean, they have the same number of camps each year. You know, they're a little bit different because they integrate their development team and their national team together. Mm-hmm. But, you know, going down to St. Louis and talking to, you know, Brody Robel and, and these, you know, these other guys that are all, I mean, studs yep. of the U.S. team. And you find out that they're playing 40, 50 games a year with their with their NHL club teams. And I mean, these club teams, you know, they, it was funny. We went down there under the impression of our, you know, just stand up hockey. Let's bring a big roster. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we'll just outskate people. And, and obviously it, it didn't work to our advantage. Um, but I mean, that's the crazy thing down there is because they have such an incredible program as far as their development team goes and their national team goes, you know, and, and in conjunction with the sledge and the NHL teams, you know, it's they have six, seven guys on these tier one teams and they are all, uh, you know, they're all national team players and they're getting to get out there and play consistently, you know, every weekend, go out and play games and, and build their skills. And 
and have have that kind of time you know actual active time on the ice competitive time on the ice where that's just something that we don't we we don't have in canada i mean we're not a centralized team our national team isn't right everyone's very spread out and so to get out there and have something like that is is difficult to do and you know to have that going will be amazing um and then i'm doing a lot of public speaking like i said getting you know sort of uh the same thing that kevin's doing trying to get more exposure to the sport and getting getting companies like that involved in sledge hockey and getting them out for team builders which in turn just like the exposure piece is, is massive with that and working with Ryan, obviously we had incredible strides with him this year. Um, you know, a lot of people, I mean, he made the provincial team this year, which was, uh, you know, for his disability, for him to do that after a year, you know, we've got half our team is national level players, you know, playing either development or on the national team. And so for Ryan to be there is something, um, was a truly remarkable thing for him to be able to accomplish. Um, and then I, I started working with a fitness company where we're actually working on um, uh, a system that allows people with disabilities to become active and and get into a gym and, and get into a, you know, some sort of physical capacity because it, it is, it's such an important piece in, right. in overall physical and mental health. And, and the people that I've been able to work with this, it, it's, it's a truly remarkable thing in, in the uh, innovation that they've been able to come up with to, to allow pretty much anybody to have, you know, be physically active in some facet. But other than that, not much. Good. Good. Oh, <laughs> and I'm, I'm happy sports and, you know, all that. All right. Stuff. <laughs> be- before I let you go, uh, question we ask all of our guests here on the original six feet po- conversation podcast. Um, I will ad- amend it a little bit because you're an Okotoks guy. So <laughs> I put no parameters on this question. I ask you to answer the question however you feel fit. But yep. give me a hidden Calgary and area gem. Give me Chris Cedarstrand's hidden Calgary and area gem. No parameters, oh. whatever you want. <laughs> oh jeez. This is a this is a tough one actually. How can it be tough? Oh, because I've got a few places in mind, and, and sadly, the one place I can't remember the name of it. We go there all the time. Oh, I'm just completely blanking on the name of it. It's a sushi place up by Windsport. Well, that's all right. So and, where? where? Uh, it's just up to the west of Windsport. It's in a in a little strip mall up there, a little hole in the wall um, sushi place. Perfect. Perfect. Absolutely blanking on the name of it. If I come up with it, we can. You can throw <laughs> I can it add title. it later. We um, tweet you it can out add it later. But we, uh, I mean, they make unbelievable sushi there. And then on top of it, the uh, it's a little family-owned place, and and we take a lot of people there that don't know what's going on, because this guy makes his uh, what he calls moon sauce, oh. and he comes and he mixes it at the table, and then. He actually like feeds you your first piece of sushi and he just really sort of like not forcefully does it, <laughs> but it's really, I mean, on top of the great food, it's just comical to see the people that eat there for the first time I love to, it. Uh, I love to go, it. to go through that. <laughs> I love it. Um, thank you, sir. Um, I've said it many a time. You are a hero of mine. Uh, I, I, I just, I love everything about you. I love everything you do. You're humble beyond belief. Uh, your story is fantastic. Uh, we need more. The world needs more Chris Cedarstrand, not less. Uh, keep doing what you're doing, but thank you for making some time for us today. It was absolutely my pre- pleasure, Rob. And, you know, you keep doing what you're doing because I look up to you. 
So no, no, I look you, up to you. You, you don't understand. Yeah, I can't I be looking up to you with you. Anyway, it, it, we can we can do. There that. we I'm, go. I'm positive we can do that. But Thanks, brother. Thank you for everything, Chris Cedarstrand. Uh, by the way, the uh, the hidden hidden Calgary gem, the, the the gem right there, Cafe Momoko. Cafe Momoko is the name of the sushi place. So uh, we just want to make sure we got that. Um, always a great honor to spend some time with Chris. He's humble. Um, he has done so much. He continues to do so much. Um, you know, all the terms that always get thrown around with athletes and stuff, but this guy is a straight-up hero. Um, I've seen it in action. I've seen him in action. Um, I just think the world of Chris, as I do with most of our guests, but Chris Cedarstrand is a very special guy, and what he has done um, for so many that just kind of goes hidden and quiet is so important. Uh, he deserves recognition, and, and I hope we give him a little bit coming out of this podcast. Uh, if you enjoyed it, please tell a friend. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe at Spotify and uh, Apple Podcasts. We'd love you to be part of these conversations, which we do five times a week. Um, thank you for being part of it. And again, if you enjoyed it, tell a friend. Let's spread the word. This has been an original Six Feet Conversation podcast at sportcalgary.ca.